What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is John Bodine. This is another one of the guys that lives up in San Francisco, one of my favorite magicians, one of my favorite people, really an incredible man with an interesting perspective on magic and on life. In the episode, we talk about John's collection of Erdne's material, the books, first editions included, the cards, the kind of cult of Erdne's and the phenomena that surround it. We talk about sleight of hand, we talk about evolving out of sleight of hand, and the importance of language and connecting with your audience. John is a very mellow, quiet, gentle, lovely person, and this episode certainly reflects that. It's slower, it's more thoughtful on my part, I think. I I just, he has a very soothing presence, and I kind of mellow out. I love spending time with him, and I trust him more than anyone, so much so that in the recording, he pushes an acupuncture needle all the way through my hand and then pulls it back out. So you'll enjoy that. Follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram.com, Facebook.com. I don't know why I always say Instagram.com. It's not like you don't have the app. You can follow us at Magical Thinking Podcast or at Treasury of Wonder. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Art of Magic. I want to wish everybody a happy holidays, and I want you to enjoy John Bodine's episode. Email me, podcast at artofmagic.com, and let me know what you think. Talk to you later. Here we are. <laughs> I'm with none other than the amazing Elliot. And the erudite, wizard-like John Bodine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way of saying it, I guess. It's a way. It's a way. It's something. Hmm. Well, what do you want to talk about? Uh, well, what do you listeners want to hear? You? I, mean, I, can, I can talk about a thousand <laughs> things. I can talk about the crazy sculptures that I build. I can talk about strange musical instruments. I can talk about magic. Collecting. Let's talk about growing up. What were you interested up? in when you were growing up? Uh, what was I interested in? I was building things. I was tinkering. Mm-hmm. Um, Learning how to build things, how to make things, how to do things on my own. Uh, youngest of five, and by a long shot with the first, that my oldest sister is 12 years older than me. Oh, wow. Um, so in many ways, I grew up in a couple of different households, in that there was the early years with lots of people, and then there's my later years at home, almost as an only child. Uh, yeah, my father is an engineer and taught me how to build things. I wrecked a Jeep when I was in high school, one that we had rebuilt, and he said, okay, great. We new can project. <laughs> e- we can either take the insurance money and buy a new Jeep, or we can take the insurance money and buy this old Jeep back and buy a welder. <laughs> so we bought a welder, and I learned how to weld. Uh, rebuilt that Jeep. That's still on the road. That's um, cool. Yeah. It's been over some amazing... It's a trail jeep, like, for driving over big rocks and stuff. Um, 
yeah, I learned how to weld, and that's one of the tools that I use in my passions now. What are your passions now? Uh, my passions now are um, big art projects, interactive art projects, magic, but magic in a different way. Not, I still absolutely love magic. Uh, I'm less enchanted with sleight of hand or stage or even mentalism to a degree. I'm more interested in the magic of transformation and the magic of what is that definition? What is magical? I spoke about this at Magicon. Like, what is magical? Magical, when you experience something magical, there's an emotional response. That's what I'm interested in. What is that emotional response? And it's not just one, but a range of emotions. And then if you say, that's what I'm after. Okay. <laughs> that's what we, now we know where you're going. Yeah. You could do a card trick and get that. Sure. Or you could have a conversation and get that. Mm -hmm. Or you could read a book and get that. Or all these different things. First time I heard one of those, I got that. And when you say one of those, you're pointing to a a drum that's in my room. (laughs) Which is a a hand pan or a hang drum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing. I'll play one if you want. Oh, that would be cool, just so people can hear what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a... It's actually a musical instrument that's relatively new. It was created in like 2000, 2001 by two people in uh, Switzerland. Uh-huh. Um, they don't call it a drum. They call it an instrument because it's it's a multi-note. For the people listening, this thing looks like a UFO or looks like the shell of one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Um, So that's the center note. So it's beautiful. Beautiful. It's and sonorous. It's melancholy. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's different ways of playing it, right? I, play, mm-hmm. I tend to play it more as a meditation, mm-hmm. um, which tends to have a little more down-tempo, low-beat, mm-hmm. melancholy, if you will. I Melancholy is a word that I use that's more like a color to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I like things that are that color. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's... My girlfriend doesn't understand it, but when I'm in a really good mood, I like to listen to music that traditionally people will listen to, like, in a breakup or, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So that, yeah. like, color. Yeah. it sound, That's like a blue-green sound mm-hmm. to me, and I like things that are in that range of... Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I play it, and people will ask me, like, can you play a song for me? No. <laughs> I can't. I don't know. I'll never play what I just played again. Yeah. <laughs> I might play something similar, sure, but I don't play songs. I play it as a meditation, mm-hmm. um, or I play it during meditations that I facilitate for other people, yeah, which we won't talk about. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, because that's where I was. Like that's where my okay. head was in that. Mo- I mean, we don't have we, to. Talk we can. About- we can. Well, no, I just meant like you know what is it about? Because you. you Okay, let me ask this question. 
why do I trust you more than I trust probably anyone else in the world? Um, I don't know. I mean, you're your own person. Uh-huh. I like to present myself as authentic. And when I say present myself, it means I like to show up. Mm-hmm. I like to be authentic in how I show up. If I'm having a bad day, you'll know it. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I won't be talking so much. <laughs> maybe I'll sort of be sitting in the corner or something like that. Um, and I believe that there are people that we meet that you just go, wow, like, I trust this person. This person's authentic. Like, um, and it's something that, like, that I've worked on. I've, like... I want people to trust me yeah. and with magic, especially I want people to trust me because now when you're performing magic, you've eliminated a barrier, right? How many times have we heard that, you know, you invite a person up to perform magic with them to them. Oh, you're going to don't steal my watch. I should well, go guard my everything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like uh, you've lost already. Or you have a different hurdle to overcome because they don't trust you. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important thing. I mean, there's a there's a story that um, about some magic that I performed at one point uh, right here on my at my house on my doorstep. And there was a person selling magazines door to door, and he said. Do you believe in second chances? Because that's what you're buying today, a second chance for me. <clears throat> I said, yeah, but I'm not buying magazines today. But I gave him money anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about lots of different things. Talked about life and what he was doing and why he was doing this. And the fact that he had committed a felony and couldn't get a job anywhere else. And this gave him an opportunity. And he worked six days a week, 12 hours a day, going door to door selling magazines and having the door slammed in his face and I gave him some lunch and I had to give him some water something to drink and then asked him if he trusted me he's like yeah I said okay completely 100% you trust me he's like yeah and he had previously said like he wanted to show me what he was going to do with the money and I'm like I don't need you to do that I trust you do whatever you want with it mm-hmm and so now he trusts me, and I said, and you walk 12 hours a day, six days a week. But you trust me completely, right? I said, yeah. I said, okay, take your shoes and socks off. And I went into my house, and I grabbed a piece of canvas and a five-gallon bucket of broken glass and went out in the front driveway and poured it down on the driveway. I said, let's go for a walk. And he did. <laughs> This guy had chatted with me for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. and he's on his feet all day, and he doesn't know that, you know, anything about this, and I broke a couple of new bottles, and I laid them out, and he walked on it, and at the end, he looks at me, and he says, if I didn't trust you, I would have cut my feet, right? He said, thank you for trusting me, and thank you for trusting yourself. That's the end of the story. It's beautiful. He didn't stop at any more houses on the way down the street. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Maybe it was just the end of his day. I don't know. But 
one of the things that draws me to yeah I'm you said you're interested in the magic of transformation mm-hmm. and the things that you do and the experiences that you create and share with people are often very transformative thank you <laughs> tell me why you want that uh, for me, one of my passions is growth in whatever way, shape, form that is. Uh, as a kid, and I barely remember this, but my mom tells me the story of the day that I was homesick. And I want to say it was in like the book Curious George. I don't remember if he made like little paper boats in that book or not. But anyway, I made, I went and collected all these different kinds of paper from the house. So wax paper and binder paper and typing paper and newspaper and wrapping paper. And I made paper boats out of all these different kinds. And I was in like, I want to say I was in about third grade. It's that like paper boat that you fold up and it looks like either a hat or a boat or whatever. And I filled up the bathtub and I, put them all in and then I took notes and like which ones floated better and for longer and when did they sink and <laughs> um, so I've always been curious mm-hmm. whether it's about learning something that I could maybe it's maybe I can use it maybe I can't maybe it's just the process of learning and then really in the last oh I'm 46 now in the last 16 years especially, but really hard in the last 10, like, okay, what else don't I know more about myself and how I relate to people, to the world, more that rather than a secret or a tool or a how do I, I don't know, how do I weld or solder build a circuit or something like that. Sure. Uh, and so that's fascinated me. And then I've seen my own transformation. I have friends that have known me for, let's say a friend's known me for 10 years, this one girl. And she's like, you're on like the fourth version of you that I know. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> okay. What's the fifth? Cause to me, there's something that feels good. I'm like, wow, I am. I'm a totally new version if you will, of me. Different passions, or maybe similar passions, but in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So. You continue dying to yourself and resurrecting to what you can be. Yeah. yeah. What does not serve me? Can I let go of the things that do not serve me? Can I foresee them? Mm-hmm. Name them? Let go of them, or at least own them? Like, okay, I own that. That's yeah. something I'm attached to. There it is. Yeah. And so when you say serve you, do you mean, uh, you know, what is this thing or this person or so on that are they helping me to be more authentic? Is that what you mean by serve you? Certainly with people in your life, but also, I mean, so years ago I was depressed. I spent several years very, very depressed. And at some point it stopped serving me. It stopped giving me value or bringing me forward. 
And so after really exploring it, uh, surrendering to it, accepting it, not pushing it away, not throwing it away, just like, okay, this is what it is, Mm -hmm. uh, it all transformed. And so it was like, oh, it didn't, it wasn't giving me any more value. But I think it was valuable at the time. Like I learned a tremendous about, amount about myself and about how I related. It caused a certain level of introspection that was beautiful and miserable. Sure. So that's what I mean by something when it no longer serves you. And then what's the driving force to help or to give other people transformative experiences? Well, I'm God. Okay. Let's explore. <laughs> no, all right. Um, <clears throat> the driving force is selfish. Okay. It's there's a there's a selfish motivation to it. Um, Which that is I, what? That I get joy out of watching someone light up, mm-hmm. uh, and I get more joy out of that than. Than I did when I performed sleight of hand. I remember this one time I performed this beautiful piece of sleight of hand. And the person looked at me and said, that was nice. And the subtext or the sub dialogue that I had in my head was, do you want to go get a hot dog? (laughs) It was like, yeah, nice sleight of hand. That was great. Want to get a hot dog? Which to me was like, I just worked for two years on this piece. Yeah. And you're like, you thanked me, but it wasn't, again, I wanted selfish, I wanted more. Mm -hmm. I wanted a bigger reaction. So my motivation for transformation is that bigger reaction. And it's not that I feel like it's my job help people or anything but I get a lot out of it and when people say something changed in them it feels good mm-hmm. so it ripples too if you if you can transform somebody it changes their way of thinking <clears throat> yeah I, I imagine I would imagine that and I, I probably am just putting I'm projecting onto you what I imagine you do, uh, which is, you know, you're like, you're, you're kind and you're, um, I'm not, I'm not coming up with the word, but the, a synonym is slow, but not in a, with a negative connotation, but you seem like the kind of person who is constantly trying to do better, leave people better the world better and so by allowing others to transform or providing the space for them to transform in one way or another with a positive experience because you're not negatively transforming people mm-hmm. you're, you're helping do that change themselves the way they view the world and the world yeah I hope I mean I hope so mm-hmm. I hope so I try to be mindful in what I'm doing every day, in the little things. 
whether it's um, putting on socks in the morning. I'm not wearing socks right now, but if I was, I'd be wearing two different socks. Mm-hmm. And every single pair of socks or every sock in my drawer, uh, I've assigned a meaning to or a, an emotion or a, a practice. So I have socks for uh, being more loving and socks that represent um, sort of being more motivated in doing or being compassionate. And so in the morning, it's, okay, how do I feel? What do I feel I would like to practice today? And I pick a sock for the primary and I pick a sock for the secondary thing that I want to practice. Which foot is primary and which is secondary? Uh, the left foot is primary. <laughs> like more direct line to the heart. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's in my head. Okay. Um, and the right foot is the secondary. Yeah. <laughs> my, sh- my shoes have are custom made for me, and they have intentions written into the soling of the shoe. Wow. So... You know, one of them, left foot says, I wish for love, and the right foot says, you are love. That's this pair. <laughs> <laughs> what about the other pairs? Um, I am calm, I am honest, I am relaxed, I am present. It's one of the shoes, and all different. different. Calm, that's the word that I'm looking for. Yeah. And so how does this, how often do you do, quote-unquote, magic tricks and and how does that affect how you pres- how does your intention affect how you do magic for people or with people <clears throat> so i haven't been i would have not been performing magic actively in several years i still do magic it's two different kinds of magic um and so how does it how does it show up or how do I show up in that? I like to let the spectator participate as much as possible. I like to get out of the way. I like to let that moment really linger and breathe, give the spectator a chance or the it's not a spectator because that's someone who's watching. Yeah, it's participant. the participant or the. Uh, what really what I like to do is I like to let other people be the magician. Mm-hmm. I like to let them other them feel power, the power of. Oh my God! I can do anything. Mm-hmm. That they can be magic too. Sure. Um. So you. You're friends with a lot of my friends who are magicians, and how do you... Because we talked about the the show idea that I have. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you gave me some thoughts and um, helped me kind of dial in. You understood what I wanted, and you helped me dial that in. So how do you help other people that are going out, and people like Theron who are performing walk-around, and how do you help people like um, David Clavins or Michael Feldman or... yeah, you know, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask them how I help them. Um, well, just in general, how do you try to help other magicians? 
What what wisdom do you have that you impart that people listening can? I don't know that I have any wisdom. I, I wouldn't I, be talking to you if I didn't <laughs> think you had wisdom, John. I I think that uh, I very seldom talk about the tricks that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if it is, it's why are you doing that trick? Mm-hmm. What is it? What is what does it represent to you? Where does it fit? What do you get out of it? Is it is it your ego that you get to do you know, three passes and fourteen double lifts in this trick that or a diagonal palm shift with multiple cards and that's how so hard? Like, if so, name that. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You just did crazy hard stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's why you're doing it. You like to do crazy hard stuff. Yeah. Uh, when David was putting together his early shows, that's not at all what we would talk about. We wouldn't talk about the tricks. We would talk about him as a person. How do you show up? Why are you in front of this? Why do I pay however much I'm going to pay to go watch you on stage? Who are you? Mm-hmm. What do you have to say? And what is your character? And is your character an extension of you? And if so, can you own that and see like, oh yeah, there's part of my ego that's attached to being funny or being great or I'm bigger than... I'm put... I'm turned off. I don't watch a lot of magic. I don't like to go see a lot of magicians more recently. I'm judgmental. I own that. Like, if I see one person like really insult an audience member and there's a way of doing it absolutely a way of doing it that can be fun and funny and nobody feels hurt yeah but when I see that like now this person you just alienated them more it to me it doesn't feel like you're making the world a better place mm-hmm. doesn't feel inclusive and I imagine that person's like trick was good I don't want to see a magician again which hurts magic yes my projection I don't know sure they might not say that but Magic is powerful. Bringing the experience of awe and wonder to people is a powerful thing. And so when it's done poorly or alienates an audience, I feel frustrated. I agree. It makes me very unhappy. You don't have to agree. <laughs> no, I do agree. <laughs> you could agree. I No, I, I could not disagree, but yeah. I, I do agree. I have as I was remembering a show, a close-up show that I saw at the castle, and the performer was using his participants as props and chastising them and insulting them when they couldn't follow his directions. They couldn't follow his directions because nobody in the room could understand him. He was speaking much too quickly and mumbling. Yeah. And it's a it's a lack of self awareness I think those people have that when they're when they're performing they do have an immense responsibility for all these different reasons wonder and amazement are powerful emotions these people may not see magicians again or may not want to after they see them you know and it's a lack of self awareness being mindful about what you put out <clears throat> in the world yep and. I follow on different forums or Facebook or whatever, different groups of magicians, and I see what people say and people's reports of shows that they've done or effects that they performed. And 
And I'm always curious because these people give themselves these amazing high marks. Like, nailed that one. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Does that mean you performed the slights perfectly? Or does that mean you left an audience member crying? Or that you got a, a booking again? Because a booking is different. Like, a booking does not mean awe and wonder. Right? means you were able to command a space for a period of time that didn't leave people wishing they had stared at a white wall. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe people got laughs, maybe the person that booked you really liked it, like, whatever. But how do we be, like, honest about our assessments? Mm-hmm. How do we get feedback from a range of people? Like, what worked? What didn't? How do you get honest feedback? How do you really get honest feedback? It's hard when it, you know it. If I had just performed for a group of people and said, tell me what you think, and they all go, that was great. Like, no. Like, tell me how you really feel. Like, I, my feelings will not be hurt. Mm-hmm. Tell me if it, if something flashed. Tell me if you were suspicious about something. Magic is this beautiful, delicate, interesting thing. The drum I just played. If I had hit the notes in a different order or hit them slightly off or if something was funny... I still would have made music. But magic, if someone sees the card move into your palm, you no longer created magic. The secret is revealed, and therefore it's no longer magic. Mm-hmm. The card was in your palm. So, you know, the technique has to be perfect or hidden. Mm-hmm. So that it is perfect. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we need to get an assessment of that. Like, do people just laugh because our jokes were sort of funny? If you're saying jokes in the middle of your routine, are they pre- are, are they, they contextually appropriate? Do they even belong there? Why, yeah. you know, a good mm-hmm. editor cuts, right? Or good editor edits or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's the same. Can we eliminate the stuff? Can we leave room for space? I think it it has to do with what people, you know, people, everybody that I talk to, not everybody, of course it's a generalization, but people that I talk to will say, you know, I'm guilty of saying it as well, people get into magic because they're compensating for something. Yeah. Right? And so I think those folks that are not editing are still compensating feels good to have people gather around you. Sure. But there's a point at which I think really the great magicians and the artists understand there's nothing more to compensate for. And that they now are free to do really great magic that is emotionally impactful, that is truly astonishing and astounding. Yeah, I think that, I think a lot of that ultimately comes when you really know yourself. Right. You know why you're doing it, why you're on stage, why you're in front of an audience, and whatever. The audience could be one person, it could be a thousand people. Sure. But at least you see why you're there, your own ego included, right? I'm here for my own ego. I like the applause. Okay, you own it. But in 
until you can really see that, I think it's hard for a performer to to fully be present for the experience of their audience. Yeah. Magicians, I think, are also... I continue to practice when I do magic for people, being aware of how they respond at every moment. Uh, I talk about comedy on this podcast a lot because I think magic has a ton to learn from stand-up. And one of the things that I reference frequently is that comedians are constantly checking in with the audience because these are strangers that have to become an audience. And so they're kind of molding this energy, playing with this tension in the room so that everybody kind of gets on the same page. How do you think we can do that as self-aware people? How do you think, you know, how, how do we break down the barrier between magician and, and audience? Well, if we, if we look at, if I look at the magicians that I've met, I don't know, something close to 99% of them perform close-up magic. Mm-hmm. And close-up magic, uh, there is, there can be a fourth wall. Can be me standing here in front of you doing something in my hands with without any involvement other than hey watch this mm-hmm. um, and that can be okay uh, but I think it's important to first recognize that, that your audience is right there so for the vast majority of people listening to this podcast your audience is right standing in front of you if you scratch your ear, they see that. Uh, does it mean something? Right? You could scratch your ear, and it might mean something. You could scratch your ear, and it could be a dramatic pause, or it could raise suspicion, or it could cause someone to be afraid. Like, So what are all the possibilities there? Mm-hmm. So every moment, every word... Everything that happens in your performance can build as part of the experience. Also to recognize, um, laughing and gasping are just two uh, outward effects or outward motions of an emotion. But we're these beautiful chemical beings that can experience a huge range of emotions. You know, if you, there's, I don't know, there's four core emotions and then there's all the sub, like, subversions of that uh, possible. So, how many magicians say, I want this trick to have this arc? I want people to laugh. I want people to ponder. I want people to sort of withdraw. 
And then I want people to like open their eyes and have this sinking feeling in their belly and their jaw open as in amazement. Well, there's an arc of emotions of four or five or six different emotions layered within that. Now that I have an arc of emotion, like an emotional journey, how do I take someone on it? Mm-hmm. Some of it could be done with words. Some of it could be done with the props or the effect. Um, rather than like, oh, I performed Twisting the Aces and they clapped at the end. Mm-hmm. Great, they clapped at the end. What happened in the middle? What yeah. happened in the beginning? I think it's an interesting blueprint for creation because magicians talk a lot about uh, you know, either you have a method and you want to come up with an effect or you have an effect and you try to figure out the method. And then there's this beautiful third way, which is you have emotions you want people to feel and in what order. And then you figure out how to... Then you figure out how to do it. Yeah. And then do that through your whole show. Like, do that within a trick. <clears throat> but what's the arc of a show? You know, if you watch... Sit down and watch any of the great movies and, like, write down peak emotions that you experienced like oh my god right now I'm not breathing and my heart's racing and I'm like clenching my body wow what's happening what do you call that what emotion do you call that because you call it something but the physical sensations are what's real how do we get people to experience those real things Mm -hmm. well how did you get started in magic? I went to a birthday party in, I believe it was second grade. And there was a magician there. That Christmas, I got a magic set. I don't remember who's the, what set it was, but it had this plastic black top hat with a trap door in the bottom and like a little squeeze thing in the brim of the hat that maybe squirted water or air or something. And I received a, a wand and a, I don't know, a set of linking rings or something. Sure. And I was always fascinated. Like, and I would come back to it again, like it was in the drawer underneath my bed. So in and out of magic until I was uh, 29, 28, something like that. Um, then I was in grad school and there was a guy in front of me rolling a 50 cent piece across his knuckles reading Card Shark by Darwin Ortiz. And I went and talked to him. I said, looks like you're into magic. And so I did a few things and I hadn't done things in years. And he was like, wow, you're, you're really good. You should come to this club meeting. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about clubs, IBM or Sam. So I went to an IBM meeting and met a lot of people that are now my very, very close friends. Uh, and so, yeah, for the last 16, 17 years, it's really been a part of my life <clears throat> in a way that it was always present, but not always active and without any guidance or support from a magic community or a magic fellowship with other people. Mm-hmm. And then, so at 29, you meet other magicians or you meet magicians. Uh, when did the Erdnays fascination happen? Well, so when I was at that, it would have been the one, 
to the second. The third meeting that I went to, maybe the fourth, at the IBM Ring 216, uh, this young gentleman comes up and he's doing some magic for me and he's doing this, this uh, he's practicing seconds and bottom deals. And I didn't know him, I'd never met him. And I, I told him, I said, well, your knuckles flashing on your bottom deal. And um, Ricky Smith didn't like me for saying that. <laughs> and he thought, who are you? Why are you telling me this? Like, uh-huh. uh, and I couldn't do a bottom to save my life at the time. Yeah. But I could see it. Yeah. And I, so I named it. Hey, I look, the stuff looks great, but I noticed this one finger is doing this thing come only in this one moment. Um, so that developed into a beautiful friendship, and mm-hmm. um, I don't remember what your question was. How did I meet these people or something like Erdnays. that? Erdnays. Oh, Erdnays. Oh, and so, and Ricky, uh, Ricky was the first person then I started talking with him, and I'm like, I'm relatively new, and like, what books would you recommend I read? And Erdnays was one of the books, the Expert at the Card Table, Art of the Sruz, and Subterfuge at the Card Table. <clears throat> and so I picked up a Dover copy, mm. the, the 495 Dover copy, and I have one that has notes throughout it. Um, and I, just, I became fascinated with it, not uh, let's see, for, for a number of reasons. Not that I perform anything from it. I have, but I don't actively. But I thought the writing style was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so concise uh, that it was so that it was articulate in this way that it was like I wouldn't say perfect writing, but you know, when you can describe something in as few words as is necessary, there's uh, there's an efficiency that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And then I like the fact that he uses like 72 words in the book to describe something you should not do ever. Mm-hmm. He's like, he and he goes on and describes it. It's maybe more than 70. I should know how many words. And then he's like, and don't ever do this. Like nobody in their right mind would do this. Only a hack. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that, that there's a funny. And then I love that there's a mystery. I love that here it is. Here's this person and we don't know who it is or the vast majority of us and people that do know aren't saying something all the better mm-hmm. yeah and so I similar to Jason England you know all of a sudden he realizes that he has a collection one day in this it was like I'd like a first edition I'd like to you know and so I was looking 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 then I'd pick up one here a book here or there and pretty soon I, I ended up with a first edition it's a great story yeah. about first editions. Do you mind telling it? So I, um, yeah, so I was at a convention. I was at Magicon. And, and I mean, so here's an example <clears throat> of creating awe and wonder, but knowing who your audience is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the context, right? I didn't do any tricks. And what we're about to describe, 
But and to most people, it would be boring. What does this mean? It doesn't mean anything. But in this case, in this situation, it created a moment of of awe and wonder, which resulted in a what? Like what? Uh, I was talking to Paul Wilson, our Paul Wilson, who I knew also appreciates Ernest and and the work and the slides and this. And I have a, a shoulder bag with me, and I. I'm talking to him about it <clears throat> and asking you know, because we're talking about it I said oh you know do you do you own a first edition yourself or are you a collector of it and he says well I I have a few editions but I don't have a first edition I said oh I recently picked one up and I reach into my bag and I pull it out and I hand it to him and he's like whoa like you just hand me a first edition and I'm like, yeah, you know. And he opens it up, and he's looking at it, and he's holding it. And you know, at the time, this is a you know, $5,000 book. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And uh, I said, this one that you're holding, it's it's a nice, it's in nice condition. It's not in great condition. Here's here's one that's in better condition. And I reach in my bag, and I pull out a, a second one and hand it to him. And I said, you know, what I find beautiful about this one is it's signed by this magician, G.R. Reeves, uh, August 1903. So by August 1903, so less than a year after it was available, G.R. Reeves was in Australia. And so it's made its way halfway around the world to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I I just think that that's neat. Like, wow, this person read about it in the Sphinx or wherever, figured out how to get a copy of it, and there it is, Australia. And he's looking at him. He's holding them to both of these books right now. And I said, yeah, I said, that's, uh, you know, that's, I think it's just, I'm fascinated with all of it. And I said, but neither of those are, are the best condition version that I've ever seen. That's this one. And I reach in my bag and I pull out a third first edition and I hand it to him. One that's in almost pristine condition. I mean, it really color, everything about it is, it's in really good shape. And he looks up at me and he says, if you reach in that bag and pull out a fourth, like, I'm going to punch you. Or <laughs> like, not punch me, but something like that. Sure. And, uh, and I said, well, and I reach in my bag. I said, no, I don't, I don't have a, a fourth first edition. But I do have this really good condition second edition or second printing in 1905. Yeah. Second printing and handed that to him. And again, for him, you know, for for ninety percent of the magicians at a convention, this would be boring. Mm-hmm. But for him, it was this moment of wow. Yeah. Right. Like what just happened? Um, so those are, that to me is like it's magic. It's creating. It's not magic. It's magical. Mm-hmm. It's creating the emotions that magic can create. Yeah. And those emotions are what we experience the world through our sensations, which lead to our emotions. That's, we don't experience the world in our head. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Your thoughts aren't real. So how do we create those, those body sensations that we crave and enjoy so much? Mm-hmm. So. Thanks, Paul, for, uh, for being there for that one. <laughs> I have a friend who 
uh, he likes to do things like that, uh, but with magic tricks. So instead of you know pulling out four first edition Erdnazes, three and a half, <laughs> um, he will do. He will think of a trick if he knows he's going to see a particular person. He thinks like, "What is this person like?" How can I fool them? You know, he's like giving them the gift of being yeah. totally fooled or floored or feeling magic. Sometimes at the expense of the method and of the people around him. Uh, it's so laser focused. His his uh, his goal is so focused. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I think a lot of magicians would say like, well, you're exposing the method to all of these people or... Uh, that wouldn't fool all these people. Like you're wasting your time, or you're hurting magic. And I don't know if I agree with that. We hear this a lot. Like it hurts magic to expose something. It hurts what? Like if four more people in the world know what a double lift is because you exposed it in something, mm-hmm. does that really hurt magic? If we want to talk about hurting magic, what about the 10,000 magicians that perform a double lift horribly? Mm -hmm. That, to me, hurts it more than someone revealing something because of the effect or something that they're getting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what your friend's doing is beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Go for the effect. Go for the emotional response that, that gives someone a feeling that they don't experience often you know, give to them and if you have to show them your double lift to do that I don't so care do yeah. I don't care <laughs> doesn't matter how did you get to this place of wanting the emotional reaction because I would imagine like everybody you started out not caring or not necessarily not caring, but it wasn't your goal. It wasn't a driving force in the way you live your life. Uh, it wasn't how I lived my life. And by that, I mean, I didn't live my life actually recognizing my emotions. So, uh, when I was seeing a therapist years ago, this is sort of during my depression, um, he made the comment that we proposed that perhaps I lived my life as if my head was detached from my body, floating two inches above my body, uh, unaware, controlling it, but unaware of the sensations in it. I remember watching a sunset one time and thinking in my head, this arrangement of color in the sky is what people call pretty, therefore I should say that this is pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did I get to this appreciation I think that because later in life like as an adult I really reconnected I'm sure as a child I experienced lots of emotions I think at some point in my life I stopped recognizing them and just really living in rational very rational life mm-hmm and then reconnecting with it as an adult gave me a new appreciation and a curiosity 
for the experiences and the whole range of different emotions. We've talked about emotions throughout this whole uh, talk this afternoon. So that, I think, um, that's how I got there. And then there's some other moments that really like blew me wide open from from an emotional standpoint of just like, what, what the hell just happened? Sure. And, uh, and I think those are moments as well, just like any of these peak emotional experiences that someone can have. And it could be through magic or it could be through, I don't know, it could be through a thousand different things. Yep. You know, really, you know, traumatic life experiences or dramatic life experiences. All of these things can create really deep high or extreme highs and deep lows. Mm-hmm. I I was in a a relationship for a long time that towards the end of it, I had had to kind of forsake my own feelings as a way to. Uh, be strong enough to continue doing what I was doing in the relationship and outside of the relationship. And I remember recognizing, having the thought, I don't feel excitement anymore. And, you know, it would be like I was going to come out to California for, you know, to hang out with Dan and Dave and work with them and meet these magicians and do this stuff. And I didn't feel any excitement. There was no... And, I, and, and, and when I had that realization, <clears throat> I then sort of started becoming more aware of the rest of my emotions. Because that one's pretty tangible. Because you don't feel it all the time. And so when you do feel it, you know you're supposed to feel it. And when I wasn't feeling it, I was going, oh, what else am I not? recognizing is gone and that's kind of for me when my attitude my paradigm started to shift as I was like I'm becoming a shell of a person I have to start taking steps to practice opening back up it's like watching a flower bloom in reverse I was like I have to figure out how to to open back up yeah uh, and so that's, you know, being self-aware and thinking about, you know, what I had to do to live a full, meaningful life. That Those are the sort of the steps that took me to here. And now just constantly practicing that and, and thinking about that. Yeah. I feel sad hearing your story. Feel some sadness. And it's, I think it's beautiful as well. Yeah, I, I... There's a sadness, but there's a beauty in hearing your story. Because what I imagine, my projection, is that you caught yourself sort of falling asleep. Mm-hmm. If you will. And the sadness is that you weren't experiencing joy hearing that story. And the, the excitement, the joy of, that I feel is 
that you caught yourself. You saw like, oh, you, there's more and you wanted it. Mm-hmm. And then you made the difficult decisions, life decisions, to go after something that felt better. Mm-hmm. How do we help people do that? This is the best magic podcast there's ever been. <laughs> the uh, first, I recognize it's not our job. It's not our job to do something for someone else. It brings me a selfish joy, though. Yes. So we do it for ourselves. Yes. And we we can't force someone to do anything. Of course, we cannot force that. But by, I don't know, having an authentic conversation with someone, right? There's the name of a trick that everyone does. Any trick. Doesn't matter. Out of this world. Out of this world. It's an amazing trick. There's, you know, a hundred different methods, and they're all one more clever than the next. And, um, it's the intuition method of, you know, you look at how good your intuition is, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is, it's beautiful. Or we can talk to the person about good and evil, and if they feel good, they feel evil, if they, you know, all these things. All those things are great. And they illustrate a point. Um, but it's also what an opportunity to get to know someone. Like, ask them. Like, you could do it with ten cards and it's still amazing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a full deck. So, uh, first card. Look at it. Think of a time in your childhood. Tell me a story. Wow, thank you. Let me put that one here. You know, don't don't look at it. Think, put that one here. Like, now you've got a chance to really hear someone's story about their life. Um... Which gives you in a moment to relate to them. Not to control them, not to control you, but to relate to them. Mm -hmm. And in that relating, in your sharing your life story, that can open up the space for someone. You know, when you tell someone that story, like you experience this time in your life where you realize that you'd stop being excited about something. Mm -hmm. Just telling that story to someone may have the effect that they examine their life. Mm-hmm. Am I no longer excited about something? <laughs> Can I change? Should I explore something new? Do I need to let go of something that doesn't serve me to find that excitement again? So you can open dialogue through a trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of this world it's a great example of like, could ask 52 questions. Mm-hmm. You'd get 52 stories. You'd have 52 people involved. How do we... Um, I don't know. Because I've been up here and I've been hanging out with uh, amazing magicians... The Bay Area is an amazing... There's... The number of really good magicians in this area 
as a ratio to the number of magicians, I think it's an amazing area. Yeah. I think that's because there's great community. There's great, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, a good community of sharing and openness and trying to make each other better. Yeah. There are specialists. I would agree. Yeah. Um, but, but how do we justify the combination of theater and authenticity? How do we justify? Justify may not be the right word. <clears throat> well, I think there's time for theater. I think there's time for theater, pure theater, mm-hmm. which I would define as entertaining. Mm-hmm. And entertaining can make me cry, and entertaining can make me laugh, and entertaining can make me, you know, scream. This election has very been very entertaining. Yes. <laughs> and I want to scream. Um, and then authenticity... And then mixing the two is very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, like I mentioned, I see very little magic, but I made an effort this year to drive down and see Derek Delgadio's show, um, and was flo- was blown away by it. I was floored. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's amazing magic. It's theater. It's you can't like it's all of these things and none of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, here in the Bay Area, we have a mix. We have people that get up there and do a you know knock down, drag out, amazing kids show. Someone else who four walls a theater and you know does a mentalism act, you know, or more mentalism, um, you know, three times a month or something like that kills it and then you have this group that everyone gathers on a Friday night at a guy's house in his garage and once every three months he converts his garage to a theater that seats a hundred people and it's a huge garage no it's a two-car garage wow with a 16 foot wide stage eight feet deep and curtains and lights and he opens the garage door and backs his pickup truck and puts chairs in the back of the pickup truck and it's about a hundred people can either be in seats or standing or sitting in the back of the truck. Wow. It's the magic garage. Yeah. So you get all of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, and I think there's room for all of it. I don't think I answered your question, but it's fine. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Burning Man and, yeah. you know, what, that's magical. It's yeah, it's very magical. Uh, I don't know a great deal about it, but I, you know, I have friends and loved ones that have been and experienced mm-hmm. it. And how does that influence the way that you think about what is magical, or how does the way you think about what is magical influence your Burning Man? Yeah. So, <clears throat> for those that don't know, Burning Man is a, a big art festival in the Nevada desert held once a year. It's been going on for 30 years now. Um, I've been eight of those. I started going nine years ago. I missed one year. My first year, I had seen pictures. I had looked up some stuff online and seen some videos. 
but a picture or a video does not, or talking to someone, my sister had been five years before then, doesn't actually describe anything. You have to experience it. And for me, what blew me away after my first year was uh, the art and the size and the scale and what people called art. Um, you know, just these things were just massive. The The size of the place, it's, it's I want to say it's almost, um, it's almost three square miles. Is that right? Three square or is it three miles by three miles or a circle with a, you know, diameter of three miles is mm-hmm. about what the place is. Um, so you have space. It's 50,000 people or 70,000 people that gather for a week and there's no money exchange. There's no trading. It's not a barter system. It's just show up and be present. And in that environment, you know, under those conditions, how do people show up? Our camp gives away about 2,000 grilled cheese sandwiches every year. We buy the, everything that we need to make them, and we take them out there, and we give them away. And people appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And they thank us. And that's it. It's just an act of giving. So after my first year, I, I was just like, wow. Like, I need to build something. I need to build some big piece of art. And so I built a butter, or um, second year I built an owl that's the size of a Cessna airplane. Uh, and it pedaled around. Three people would pedal it. And you'd, the ends of the wings were lit up on fire and a big leather face. And, and I took it out. My dad says, so you're building this to like win a prize? No. But you want people to say that you're the best thing out there. No. Don't. But I mean, you really you're looking for. No, I'm doing it because that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And if people enjoy it, beautiful. Yeah. People don't enjoy it, it's okay too. Mm-hmm. I am doing it because I enjoy it and I want to share this. So that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are magicians and. Amazing magicians, Chris Korn, Tony Chang, uh, I think Tom Frank goes out there, Doc Eason. There's a handful of magicians that, that go out there. Um, Jonathan Steigman goes out, and I know he performed this year. And I think it's great, and I think magic is an interesting thing to perform out there. And I think it gets lost. <laughs> it's hard. You're, the place is already so magical. Mm-hmm. If I did an ambitious card routine, wow, that's clever. It's nice. But did you see the uh, the three-story tall octopus that's driving around out there shooting fire from all of its limbs? <laughs> it's pretty magical, too. That's awesome. It seems like a wonderland, like a fantasy place. Mm-hmm. A make-believe experience. How long is it? Last a week. Yeah, it's the week that leads up to and includes Labor Day. Okay. And then when everyone leaves, unlike every other music festival on this planet, 
There's nothing left. There's no trash. And granted, there's a group of people that stay out there for another month to make sure of that. Mm -hmm. But it's on a dry lake bed and they scour it and pick up every little piece of broken feather and every cigarette butt and every bottle cap. But the vast majority of people take out all their trash and leave. They take out what they left. Mm. So it's also this like, wow, people can be good. People can take care of, like, rather than leave your trash around, Mm -hmm. take it home with you. (laughs) I just, uh, I just thought of this scene in Mad Men, which talk about, this was like a magic trick. It's, uh, I had, I had like a really hardcore physical response reaction to this scene. But Don and Betty and Billy and Sally or whatever their names are have pulled over on the side of the road and they're having a picnic. And <laughs> they eat and there's you know, they're doing whatever. And then they get ready to go and Don stands up. And he picks up the blanket and he flings all the trash into the air on the blanket and bundles up the blanket and gets in the car. And when he flung that trash at like... <laughs> it yeah. it was crazy. It was amazing, the response that that had. And I I didn't, had no idea that... Like, it, in, no idea <laughs> that Mad Men would be something that came up during this conversation. But <laughs> that... That scene is really about knowing your audience. Because mm-hmm. nobody would ever think to do that now. Well, I mean, okay. like, People might. there are, sure. But the the, the climate. Yeah, I think now. fewer. Yeah. But, yeah. But I do think it's very beautiful that everybody picks up. Yeah, still know. look at how much trash is left out, you know. Can mm-hmm. we just... Take care of our stuff. Mm. I don't know if people can hear, but an ice cream man is going by. It's a rainy day right now here in California, and a rice ice cream truck just drove by. That's kind of magical. Would have been more magical if earlier I had said, what kind of ice cream do you like? That would have been. Next time. <laughs> Next time. What time is it? It's 3.40. Mm-hmm. So at 3.40 on rainy days. Yeah. Capitalizing on the moment. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I think is fascinating about how you approach life. Oh, do you have an example of something you're thinking about? I, I mean, just your story uh, about the man walking on glass or, um, you know, the, the idea that you have uh, to kind of create this house of wonder, basically. Yeah. You know, taking a moment that everybody either knows and changing it, or when something happens that you can incorporate into an experience. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of magicians that do the, that do this really well. Capitalize on a moment. And I think 
most of them are older. And I think most of them have been around magic for a long time or really thought deeply about it for a long time and are prepared for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And so when that thing happens, what do you do? Are you ready to jump on it? And, um, you know, I couldn't have done it when I first got into magic. I couldn't have done those things because I didn't, I didn't have the wealth or the the range of knowledge or experience. Whether it's, you know, if someone has a tattoo of a card on their body, that's a magic trick waiting to happen, but it's not the ideal trick to be done is like, here, take a card, I'm going to reveal it. Mm-hmm. It's done when, you know, someone drops the deck when you're all at, playing bridge or something like that or whatever and one card lands face up Mm -hmm. that's the moment because something happened that could not have possibly matched or predicted and then you take advantage of it Mm -hmm. so yeah I I think there's beautiful things to do there and amazing stories come from it I mean to Michael Weber's point person who dies with the best story wins yeah, there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we all have good stories. We all we all have the stories that we share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find myself thinking more about the impact that my magic has, and I've largely stopped performing. Because I wasn't doing what I... I wasn't doing the magic that I wanted to see. Yeah, that's a trap. Keep performing. Don't fall into the trap I fall into. <laughs> Why? Why do you say that? I am... I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding. Um, it can still bring a lot of joy to just do a simple card trick. Uh-huh. Does not everything like it's life's not that serious. Sure, it's really not that serious. It's not that important. Nothing's really that important. Sure, might feel important in the moment, you know. But it's kind of all funny. So I find myself. I I often get caught up in the like. Oh, it's got to be just perfect, and it's got to be this really powerful emotional punch, and one-on-one, and really transform them, and cause them to question their whole existence, and reframe why they're here, and, uh, I don't know. Sometimes, uh, sometimes a top change is a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah my friend, and I mentioned him earlier, Rick Smith, who does, I don't know, in my mind, some of the best miracles in magic. Mm-hmm. Slight of hand, I mean, miracle. Sure. There's different categories of miracle, but, um, you know, what he can do with a top change and a double lift will bring people to their knees. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's important, I think, to 
keep those things in mind and keep doing them. Sure. I'm kind of coming to that realization too over time. Yeah. But to do them in a way that's now more authentic mm-hmm. and more, that you show up more and mm-hmm. that you share more and you're more vulnerable instead of when we first get into magic and like, oh my God, here, let me show you something. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, let me share something with you. Which means you're an equal. Yeah. Like the magician, magicians, as soon as we start performing magic, we know something they don't. That puts us above them. It's the child-parent relationship, and now we're the parent. Yeah. And nobody wants to be that child. And, like, especially when you're interacting with an, a person that's performing for you. Yeah. And so how do you bring that, how do you balance that scale a little bit? And I think, I mean, David Blaine, I think, sh- showed us the model for this, right? His dialogue gets out of the way. Mm-hmm. And people harass him or tease him for it or whatever, but it's like, no, let me show you something. Let me, like, here, you want to see something? You want to experience something? Mm-hmm. And the stuff that he does, it's, he just gets out of the way. Yeah. He doesn't stop on the moment. No. He stops talking because that's what you're supposed to do is stop talking and let someone experience an emotion. You said... Let me, instead of show, let me share. And I wrote this down the other day, Mm -hmm. which is how language is so important for framing self-perception or others' perception of yourself. Yeah. I, I think that... We often read about this, whether it's on the Magic Cafe or projecting. Some people may read about this. Um, Don't say, take a card. Say, select a card. Say, choose a card. No, sometimes you want them to take a card. Take a card just means it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Just take one of these. Like, here's a thousand objects, take one of them. Okay. Select a card. Or choose a card implies that the person has some mental process mm-hmm. capacity going on. So if you fan out cards face down and you say choose one, well, I don't really have a choice. Like they all are more or less the same, and then it's Schrodinger's cat. Like mm-hmm. until I turn it over, it could all it could be every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you're choosing a card, you should show them to them. They can see all the faces. Um, so that's an, a simple example in magic of what is the word? And sometimes you just want them to take one. Just mm-hmm. take any one of these objects. Just pick one. Like, I don't care. Make that moment unimportant. If it's not an important moment, make it unimportant. Mm-hmm. Stop talking if you need to stop talking. <laughs> that's, often what, that's often what I do. Is I'll do a LaPaul spread and just, and you just hand t- it up. Just push it. They know what it is. I don't have to say a word. And and there you can get a moment of like when you open your eyes and you give them like this shruggy look. Of, Here you go. Your, your move. Yep. Here's my move. Your move. Yeah. Um, but other things in terms of language. You know, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. <laughs> you might. Yeah. I imagine you're thinking something. 
I project. You're thinking something. Okay, those are more accurate. But I, I also think, like, what are the words that we use in our performance when I watch magicians perform? What are the words that they're using? Are they stomping? Are they using words that nobody understands? Are they stomping on lines? Are they doing telling jokes that don't mean anything? These are all language things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. Get them out of there. Mm-hmm. Asking questions also. I when I performed at MagicCon a few years ago, uh, <clears throat> I came out, I spoke briefly, and then I asked for a show of hands of people who had never met me before, uh, were over the age of eighteen, and yet trusted me completely. <coughs> and this was important. Because what I was about to do was light the person on fire. Mm-hmm. And so I got a volunteer for that. And he, and when he came up, I said, no, you trust me completely, right? You trust me that I will not put you in harm's way. And he did. That's important. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if he didn't trust me, things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> People get hurt. So the language is important in that as well. But I think it also adds, you know, when I when I said that, okay, like here, I just shared, I was vulnerable, I showed up, I said hello to people, I was the first person on stage at, at the very beginning of the convention, you know, after Dan and Dave opened and said hello. And yet here I come out and say, who trusts me completely and has never met me? Mm-hmm. What's going on in someone's mind? What emotion was just created? Sure. Intrigue, curiosity. When I lit my hand on fire, or people, you know, it's nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> people haven't had a chance to recover from drinking the night before. <laughs> Here's this guy on stage and the lights are dim and he just lit his hands on fire and he has an audience member on stage that's never met him before and he's asking him to hold his hand out what's happening yeah so language can can put people at ease or it can make them feel more comfortable mm-hmm. or it can create heightened sensations emotions mm-hmm. uh, it can build trust or it can break down trust It's important, I think, for, I mean, we've we've talked about self-awareness and and being mindful and present, and I think people have to kind of know what, not kind of, they should know what their goal is, and recognize that everything that they do is either moving them Toward that goal or away from that goal, and language is very powerful. In, <clears throat> I mean, language is very well can be just a shortcut. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with with my clients these days, so I had someone I don't even remember what it was the other day. Someone that I'm working together with, 
she said something like, oh, I am this. I'm like, you're not that. That's something you experienced. Like if, like, oh, I am depressed. No, you're not. That's not who you, that's not you. Mm-hmm. You are something else. You're experiencing this love. Yeah. That's important. You're having the sensation. You're having this sensation, right? I'm experiencing this sensation. Can can you name that, right? I even, when I work with clients now, and when I talk about clients, my work these days is doing coaching to help people transform and reconnect with their true self, either after experiencing addiction or experiencing really powerful peak psychedelic experiences or other things. Mm -hmm. And so I help them through redefine themselves and come together with whomever they they will want to be or really really are um but i'll you know someone's like oh i'm so angry well okay that's what you're calling it yeah what does it feel like in your body um you know i imagine that if i asked Doug McKenzie, what it's like when he jumps out of an airplane. He'd go, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so relaxed. Right. Well, what's it like to jump out of an airplane? Like, and so to him, relaxed might mean his heart's pumping, he's totally aware, mm-hmm. he's like fully focused, but in this present moment of of being yeah as he's falling through the air of release right but to him that's relaxed Mm -hmm. to you that exact same description of sensations might be excitement Mm -hmm. so the word relaxed and excitement these are concepts like if I said oh my god Elliot I'm totally relaxed right now you don't really know what that means yeah, you know what it means to you. Yeah, and I project my understanding of it onto onto me. Yeah. So that's why earlier I said, you know, are you trying to make a person have a sensation of dropping in their stomach and their jaw opening up? Well, that's a that's a whole set of physical sensations. Mm-hmm. I didn't name that happiness. Just that's that's the experience I want someone to have. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So I think language is important and also understanding language can offer shortcuts to descriptions of things. I don't know what all that means, but sounds good. <laughs> um, is there anything that you... I had a thing and I forgot what it was because I didn't write it down because my pen's in my pocket. But... Um, Oh, what, I'm just interested because you have the experience to possibly lend some insight, but you used to work at eBay. Yep, did that for 10 years. And I'm not clear on what your role was there. 
Um, but I just wonder if there's anything that you learned at eBay that would be interesting or helpful to people listening to the podcast. Uh, know why you're doing something. <laughs> that feels... Yeah, know why you're doing something. Uh, for the first, I don't know, five years at eBay? Huh. I was, you know, I was doing it. I was working hard and doing it. And, uh, and then for the last five, I knew why I was there. And it wasn't for the job. It was partly for the money. Yeah. Um, but it was also partly for the people that I was working with uh-huh. and worked for me. Um, and it was also for a, a means a like, okay, I'm not playing this game for a long time. I don't, want to... I don't really care a lot about capitalism. <laughs> I don't really care a lot about consumerism. Sure. Um, I mean, I have things, and I like to like. I like the things I have, but I also. Uh, so know why you're doing something, uh, and it took me a long time to figure that out. There, why exactly I was there. So this comes back to things we were talking about earlier. Know why you're doing that magic trick. Yeah. Know who you are. How are you showing up? You know, why are you wearing a purple fedora? Does this make you a better magician? Does it catch someone's eye? Did you need someone? Did you need that to catch their eye? And if so, why? Does it make people more interested in you? Is the interest good or bad? What is the judgment that someone might have? What are the possible judgments? Do you know what those are? Can you address them? Like all these things, know that. Yeah. And so, uh, working in corporate America, before that, before I had my own business, and. Um, <clears throat> Now I'm sort of, uh, I'm retired until I run out of money. Um, but know why you're doing something. And it's all a game. This is something that took me a while to learn there. That like Those people that I thought were, knew what was going on, they were making it up too. So... Uh, Ten years in corporate America, working very closely with executives, and the last thing I was doing was social media marketing. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of everything that we did on Pinterest and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what we were doing. I mean, I knew what like we knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But nobody really knew. Yeah, and we. It was a game. The whole thing is, it's all just a big game. So. You got to figure out other people's game. What game are they playing? What game are you playing? Mm-hmm. Everyone's faking it. What are the rules of their game, and do my rules work? And if they work, if the two games work together, great. If they don't, how do, what do I need to change about my rules to make me win or them win? Yeah, who should win this game? So, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Sort of I, I, talking in some weird <laughs> code language or something, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all just silly. Yeah. I uh, when I was in college, I was working for Dan and Dave doing social media and a couple other things, and I saw how this 
successful, though small, business ran. And I was sitting in my marketing classes and my business classes, and people around me would ask these questions, and the professor would respond with this answer, and I would go, that's not how that works. No. (laughs) That's not how things actually happen. (laughs) And I was like, this is all kind of a joke. And I, that's like when I started becoming aware of the cosmic joke, which is that everybody is making up everything as they go. They're just making it up. And when you realize that, then you get to decide, oh, what am I going to assign meaning to? What what yeah. brings me joy and how do I focus on that instead of yeah. how to do the thing that really doesn't really matter? So here's here's a piece of real world advice for the people that are listening to this and doing anything with social media so my goal at ebay the last year that i was there was um was traffic was to get people to visit ebay from twitter and from pinterest when i started the year we were getting twenty thousand people a day from twitter and twenty thousand visitors a day from pinterest my mm-hmm. goal was to end the year at a hundred thousand for each of these mm-hmm. so a total of two hundred thousand visits a day mm-hmm. It's probably more than most magic sites get. In a year. <laughs> in a year. <laughs> like, not all of them, but yeah. So I started diving into this and really figuring it all out. And then I realized, like, the traffic from Twitter didn't make any sense to me. I could, like, we made exactly zero dollars from all the traffic from Twitter. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't say that, but whatever. Um, and so I started digging into it, digging into it, digging in, and I learned that most of the traffic was coming from two Twitter accounts. Yeah. They each had like 19 followers. Okay. It, so the math, it didn't make sense yeah. at all. Yeah. And then I find that they've got these sites that were pointing to this Twitter thing, but again, it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it was basically it was bots. Yeah. But my goal was the same, and my manager made it very clear: your goal does not change. So over half of our traffic was fake. Yeah. He's like, I don't care. Goal doesn't change, because the game he was playing was traffic. Yeah. So what I should have done is I should have contacted these people that were writing bots, and I should have contacted. Kim Kardashian and said, "I want Kim. I want you to post every single day because you bring in five thousand post tweet you know yeah. sessions every time you tweet. These other people do a hundred times more of this, and yeah. I'll give you money for it. Yeah, and I would have hit my goals. Yeah. So I mean, it's all a game. Mm-hmm. Know the game." So. <laughs> but then again, it's all kind of silly. Sure. Is that why you left eBay? I was fired. Oh. <laughs> Did you not hit the goal? <laughs> I, I hit my Twitter, or I hit my Pinterest goal. Mm-hmm. I didn't hit my Twitter goal. Twitter's dead anyway. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. You want to buy a table lamp? So you're giving me this puzzled look. Yeah. Which is kind of like marketing on Twitter. Yeah. People are having a conversation. Yeah. And someone jumps in and says, do you want to buy a table lamp? And you go, what? We're not even talking about table lamps. 
Oh. Right. Alright, never mind. And you don't follow it, you don't do it. Like, yeah. You don't care. Yeah. <laughs> what? We are just talking. Only person that's successful on Twitter right now is apparently Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, successful is a loosely term. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, no, I, I was let go. Um, I did not see eye to eye with my manager, and it's. I, I was only going to be there for another year. From my for my own reasons, mm-hmm. uh, so it just accelerated uh, my path into what I'm doing today. Just something totally different. Yeah. Do you feel more fulfilled now? Oh, it, it feels great. I just yeah. I have to wake up and answer to walk into an office and sit down at the computer. Kind of set my own schedule to my own thing. And more importantly, it feels good that what I'm doing is... It feels good in my heart, in my body. Mm-hmm. Feels good. It's good. <laughs> Thank you for pouring more scotch before we do this. Yeah. Are we recording? Yeah. All right. Should we do it right now? Uh, you want me to do it to myself or just to you? Uh, I, both. All right. You should go first. <laughs> Great. So Gosh. what's happening? So this is uh, <clears throat> this is a fact that I now I'm going to forget who released it. Maybe Dan Haas. Okay. I think it was called like Through and Through or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you take an acupuncture needle. Mm-hmm. You push it through your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of these like freaky things that it's it's not a trick. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a method or there's a place and there's a way. Mm-hmm. But you, basically, you're taking an acupuncture needle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you just start pushing. Ah. Uh. The, the problem that I run into is the palm of the hand is the, the skin's tougher. Mm. Okay, I believe it. So, you can feel that right there. Uh, okay. And then... And so Blaine does it with an ice pick, like through his arm or through his hand, uh-huh. um, which I don't have the balls to do. <laughs> the, uh, the wherewithal. Yeah, I mean it's okay. So I mean, I and I've done it 
Um, <clears throat> I've done it on stage. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it's uh, it gets a reaction. Uh huh. I have, I have also done like for a long time after after my like after the hardcore slide of hand stuff that I did then I was and after that like great you want to get a hot dog I'm like okay I gotta change my magic and so I went into all the the geek magic stuff uh-huh. and so I did blockhead walking on glass thread from belly bead from eye needle through hand like all these tricks that are like they're actually you're really doing it yeah um because I wanted people to react authentically. Mm-hmm. I was tired of the intellectualizing of like, when did he move the card from the top to bottom? Or was that a force or blah, blah, blah. Um, and I don't do this stuff so much anymore because, I mean, I do some of it. But mm-hmm. not all of it. <laughs> How much does it still hurt? <laughs> right this moment? Yeah. It doesn't. Okay, let's do it. I mean, it, there's a sensation. So the key here is to recognize that there will be a sensation. Mm-hmm. You will be feeling something. Yep. Um, and um, it is what it is. And can you sit with the experience of it to just recognize that it's just what it is? Mm-hmm. So... So right about here. So how are you feeling right now? I good. let anyone else in the world do this John no that's good maybe so for the audience um, what I'm doing is I'm pushing a needle through Elliot's hand yeah can you feel it on the other side now no oh I'm starting to so what the audience is not able to see is right now there's a needle that enters at the top of the back of Elliot's hand and comes down and appears about the almost the middle of his palm and it's starting to push out And now it's all the way through and pushing through the front of his hand. Uh, I gotta, I gotta take a picture of this. Where's my phone? Oh man. Okay. There we go. Elliot with a needle in his hand. Now, if you turn your hand 
palm up, put it on video. Taking it out is more unpleasant yeah, than putting it so back Yeah, so just out. breathe. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Thank you for trusting me, Elliot. <laughs> yeah. did it huh so now you I mean you know where it happened like you can feel it yes and you'll probably be able to recall that sensation for weeks meaning it's not that there's any pain it's just oh yeah I know yeah I when when I do it like is it painful i wouldn't describe it as painful i wouldn't describe it as painful is it pleasant i wouldn't describe it as pleasant no certainly not <laughs> is it unpleasant not really yeah like it's just a it's an interesting sensation yeah can we be curious about that can we surrender to the you know you go out in san francisco in the summer and it's cold and foggy and we shiver like we could relax to that mm -hmm. and just welcome the sensation. It's mm -hmm. not going to kill you. So can we just sit with it? Can we hold ourselves in these situations, these moments that are different? It's not good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. It's just outside of our normal, what we call comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So that's your hand. Uh, Near, it just itches a little bit, yeah. but other than that, like it's yeah. back to normal. <laughs> well, that's the weirdest thing I've done today. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, wow. to, maybe to be the weirdest thing that you've done in a week or two weeks. Probably so. I don't know. I'm seeing my girlfriend on Sunday, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you were describing to me a little bit earlier about your love-hate relationship with technology. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's an interesting conversation to have in the frame of magic. In the context of it. Yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, I think all magic is technology. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. Whether it's the technology of a, a slight, <clears throat> or, and there's no slights involved in the case of mentalism, <clears throat> there's a technology of, you know, that's behind the method. 
or the technology of pushing the needle through your hand, which is the technology of knowing where to push that needle. Yeah. All right. There's a lot of nerves in our hands. Mm-hmm. They, <clears throat> the technology is to avoid the nerve. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, for me, I love technology for, well, I love technology in a couple of different realms. So I, second large art piece I built for Burning Man was a giant butterfly that has uh, about 1,500 lights on each wing. Uh, each wing is almost 225 square feet. So that's like, pick a large living room wall and double it. Mm-hmm. It's about how big those are with you know, lights every three inches across the whole thing. Four inches. Um all controlled with an iPad that I could change the patterns and the colors and every single light was individually addressable so I could make the outer edge red and the inner ones blue or anything I wanted. Which I think is a beautiful use of technology in a weird, amazing way. And then it's little things like the Nest. The Nest thermostat learns when you're not home. This is kind of like magic. It can create this sense of awe and wonder like, it knows I'm not home, so I shouldn't turn on the heat when I'm normally supposed to turn on the heat. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we save a little bit of gas and save the environment just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit, doing my part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the part I love about it. The part I hate about it is, well, the nest knows when I'm home. And nest is owned by Google. And so if I'm home, that means I have my wallet nearby and so different type of ad could be served up to me because I may or may not be more or less prone or willing to shop at that moment Mm -hmm. Uh, or now it's John is home every day starting at five o'clock and home from five and he goes to bed around eight because that's when we no longer detect movement in the house or 10 or whatever the time is Mm -hmm. like that kind of scares me it learns a lot about you yeah and i'm very apprehensive about anything with cameras or microphones Mm -hmm. just because i don't want things listening to me and i don't want things watching me Um, but i love the idea of in a way, optimizing my life and more importantly, my impact around me. So how much does it cost me to water my garden? I know my garden goes on every, you know, each system goes on three times a week for 15 minutes. But some of them are sprinkler and some of them are drip systems and how much water does that use? Mm-hmm. So I recently picked up something that will tell me. Mm-hmm. It will learn how much water it costs when I run a load of dishes or when I water the garden in zone one, <clears throat> which will tell me how much it costs me to grow lettuce in my front yard. Mm-hmm. Will I stop growing lettuce if I find out it costs me more in water than if I went to the store and bought lettuce? Probably not mm-hmm. because there's something about, there's a different satisfaction, but at least it gives me the knowledge. Mm-hmm. In terms of magic, there's a lot of new iPhone tricks and things like that out. 
I think some of them are very clever. I think some of them are very lame. <laughs> sure. I think some people go, oh, technology. Oh, your iPhone did that. Yeah. <laughs> did. Yep. Yep, you're right. <laughs> uh, to assume our audience is dumb is the biggest mistake we can, or is a giant mistake that we can make. Mm-hmm. People are smart. Yes. Uh, you know, I live here in the Silicon Valley, and I'm not saying people here are smarter than elsewhere in the world or in the country, but there's a lot of really smart people that know a lot about technology right here. Mm-hmm. And so the audiences that we get here tend to be really technical or really smart or be able to make connections between things that maybe they won't make if they're farming oranges in the Central Valley of California. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just don't know about these things that are possible. Sure. I live in Mountain View and I see Google self-driving cars every day. Cars driving around on their own <laughs> every day. <laughs> That's magical. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, and what's you know? I love the idea of like, hey, I want to drive to San Francisco, and a car pulls up and takes me there, and I can practice my diagonal palm shift, my pass the whole way, and never have to do anything. I love that. So yeah. I love technology, and I hate it same time well I think it's especially interesting now because there's so much information available to magicians <clears throat> it's got I, I, I coined this little phrase called the chaos of opportunity which is that I could learn any magic trick any variation of it any method that I wanted to so I don't do any of it and the example that I use is Netflix. I spend more time adding things to my list than I do watching things on Netflix. Interesting. I want a copy of your list, and I wish Netflix would give me a way of saying, I'm friends with these seven people, or mm-hmm. ten people, or twenty people, and show me what's on, let me browse your list. Mm-hmm. All right. Because I spend time on Netflix, like, seen that why is it showing this because I know I've watched that yeah I want to watch something Mm -hmm. last night I was like I want to watch a historical drama what's a great historical drama Mm -hmm. so then I get my phone out and do a google search for best historical dramas on Netflix Mm -hmm. and then I get some historical drama that didn't at all what I was interested like it was a historical drama it's supposed to be amazing but it's not in the style that I tend to like sure but that knowledge is there with the data that, mm-hmm. that's available uh, one of the last things that I did at eBay was social media mm-hmm. I was doing social media marketing I mentioned this earlier we did this little test where when Xbox I forget which Xbox came out we searched for anybody who was tweeting about intention to want or buy the new Xbox. Mm-hmm. And that could include, I'm going to get me a new Xbox. OMG, amazing. 
So there's almost no words in the English language that are in what I just said. Yeah. But it processed this. It understood subject and verb and object. It understood desire in a way because can you can this tool that we were using, you could say these are these words. Yeah. And then we would respond to them. That's wonderful. You want to buy the new Xbox? Mm-hmm. Do you have the old one? Sell your old games on eBay. Here's the link. It's been never been easier. Mm-hmm. Sell your old games to buy new games. It's great. It's contextual. It's mm-hmm. relevant to that person. And it's a little creepy. Yes. Is that okay? I think people... You know, the, the realm of what is or is not creepy shifts as we all come to acknowledge our technology knows everything about us. Like, I'll have a conversation with somebody about a thing, and then I'll get ads for it for that thing that we talked about on my Facebook feed or my thing. Yeah, because so... If, if your Facebook app is open and running... It's listening to you, and they've been doing this marketing thing where they're listening actively. It's amazing, but it is creepy. It's creepy. Because it, at the same time, uh-huh. if this morning I squeezed my toothpaste tube, the last bit of toothpaste, and went, oh, I really need to get new tooth. I need to go to the store. And then I opened my front door, and there's a box of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. It's a little creepy. That would be very creepy. <laughs> But god damn, that would be for that would be awesome. Awesome! I don't have to go buy toothpaste today. I yeah. can skip that trip to the store. Yeah. Creepy, yes, but we're, it'll happen. Yeah, I mean, this stuff will happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, now you talked about magic and the wealth of knowledge and availability of material. Mm-hmm. A podcast for a future date is that. The elephant in the room with magic that people sort of talk about but nobody really embraces is that of piracy. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Yeah. It's either on YouTube or it's digitized somewhere. Yeah. Everything. Almost everything. Um... You posted on Facebook recently because there was an article written in the... Business Insider. Business Insider, right? Like, not a tiny news publication Yeah. about this, is this magic piracy underground thing real? It's absolutely real. My estimate... Are you telling everyone now that you founded this? No, I'm just kidding. No, no I did not. But I know of it. I'm yeah. not a member. Yeah. I know of it. Yeah. And I know that there's... It's probably like seven terabytes of digitized magic. Mm-hmm. Is this hurting... If 90 people in the world have access to this or 400 or whatever the number from Business Insider... It was like 400 people or something yeah, like that. About. Is that hurting people? Is Jason <clears throat> making less money because someone can download blah, blah, blah? No. No. He's not making less money. Mm-hmm. So, if he's not making less money, it's not hurting him. Mm-hmm. Is someone else making less money? Possibly. Possibly. Significantly? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, if we look at the pros and cons. If one person performs 
something way more amazing as a result of having access to this information, magic is better. Mm -hmm. At the cost of something. There's a cost. There's a cost and a benefit. Sure. So it's up to us as magicians to say piracy is not going to go away. It has never gone away. It's always been present. If my local library buys every single one of Dan and Dave's DVDs and has them available in the library for people to check out, isn't that more or less piracy? Mm -hmm. That I can go there and get the knowledge for free and start performing the Madonna cut and I all I had to do was get my free access at the public library. Mm-hmm. Did that hurt Dan and Dave? Yeah. Possibly. Or it made that person who checked that out at the library aware of Dan and Dave's stuff and now they're a member of their site and they're buying cards at Art of Play and you know have a new passion. Yeah. So a future conversation within magic is you know, piracy is not going to go away. So, how do we do this consciously? How do we talk about it in a we, way that is How do we beneficial? talk about it? How do, what is our own personal moral stance with piracy? Mm-hmm. Nobody's immune. Yeah. Every single member of every single club or convention I've ever been to has shown me something that they do not own. Yep. If they showed me something that they don't own, or I don't own, as soon as they show it to me, I didn't own it. They showed it to me, now I know how it is. Yeah. Does that make me pirating it? What if I never perform it? No harm, no foul. Yeah. If I start performing it, my personal stance is I'm going to absolutely pay that creator. Yes. Absolutely, 100%. I think that's the easy ethical baseline that we as magicians can communicate amongst ourselves, which is if you perform something, you ought to have bought it. Absolutely. Now, does that mean if you perform it for your magician buddy at the Magic Garage on Friday night? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but let's at least say where it came from. Yeah. Let's at least own that. Bill Kalush, wonderful magician doing amazing things in the world of magic and and conjuring arts and all that they have. I know he's digitized a tremendous amount that's available on Ask Alexander, which I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I bet very few would argue that it's hurting magic. Now, there's a subscription fee. And if I go to the library, I can search things that aren't in the public domain. Mm-hmm. But how did that person, you know, that's book is not in the public domain, get money? Well, Bill bought the book. But now 10 people that go to the library. So you see, it starts to get to a gray area. Mm -hmm. Does it make a difference if I can walk up and hold the book versus if I can look at the book online? Mm -hmm. The digital age has changed. Being present doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And so... Does it matter that I have to go to a library to pick up a book to actually read it? Or if I'm a member of that library, can I just sign into a website? Sure. I don't know. I don't know the answer. The question now is when there becomes an answer, 
let's say that we have a meeting of the minds and it's this summit of every creator, this, you know, this hypothetical, everyone who's ever created and published something, all come together and all figure out a way to say this is what it is. This is how we deal with the ethical issue of pirating material. How do we then disperse that? (coughs) So, I mean, it's up to every individual to talk to people about it. Like, hey, I appreciate what you've done, and I personally can't stand behind it because my personal ethical system prohibits me from doing this. Creators will continue to create. I think it's human nature to continue to create and want more and strive. It's my own belief. But, I don't know. Oh. It'll find a balance. I think the system will find a balance and people will do what's right when it's the right time. You know, to ask every 14-year-old cardist from Dan and Dave to buy every DVD and every digital download in order to perform and figure out how to do whoever's next flirt. Like, Mm. they don't have the means to do that. They don't. And I think that that's interesting that you brought up cardistry in that example. Because, and you're not the first person who brings up cardistry in that example. People are making great money, amazing money on cardistry. Absolutely. And they should. And I'm thrilled that they do. Yeah. But if I watch any of these videos online, Mm -hmm. I can learn how to do it. Yeah. I won't know all the subtleties and everything, but if I watch it enough times and put the cards in my hand... Practice long enough, you can do it. I can do it. And many cardists have said to me, in person, face-to-face, I didn't buy it. I watched the trailer 10,000 times. And I say, and Dan and Dave say, good. Good. And so what's interesting to me is, and you're not the first person to bring up cardistry in this uh, piracy internet available blah 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 the cardists as i'm aware of them are open source they don't care they because the art form is so new the guys who are starting it and kind of heading it are very actively against the idea of giving a shit about crediting you know they they look at it like skateboarding like if it's your thing and you want ownership over it, name it after yourself. But other than that, nobody cares. Everybody's gonna do an Ollie. They just might know, might not know who Ollie is, you know, or something yeah. like that. <clears throat> yeah. But it's just giving that information away for the betterment of people who are into the same thing. So, it's an art form. Mm-hmm. Magic is an art form. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference? At what point does someone's ego let go of needing to be right? Yeah. And at the same time, like, some people want to really protect their stuff. Yeah. And that's, I honor them for that. Mm-hmm. Don't put it out. Sure. Or put it out with very high, high standards of who gets access to it. You know? But know that even then, like, if I come and watch a Copperfield show... And I figure out another method of doing one of his things. I could go do that. Yeah. Does it like it's up to me to decide? Like, is that really? Does that really feel right? And so that's where we need to get to is the state of education. We have an opportunity with all these young cardists to educate them. Does it feel right to do someone else's stuff mm-hmm. without giving them credit or without mm-hmm. acknowledging that 
hey, you're standing on the giants' of shoulder, shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? How do we honor? Yeah. I think it's a fascinating conversation, and I, I'm interested to see how... Because it will only get easier for people to get information. We, we've, you know, we've hit the point of no return. You can't go back to... Can't undo it. Yeah. You can't undo it. But at the same time, I mean, can you imagine a day where you're fascinated with collectors' routines or, you know, coins across routines, and you just do a search for coins across, and here's the, the lineage of coins across, and here's the first time someone did coins across that we know of mm-hmm. that was yeah. documented, mm-hmm. and here's the, you know, twenty-seven different methods. And you're like, I'm particularly interested in ungaffed. And you have a filter and it's like, and now you've got these, you know, seven, six different methods of ungaffed coins across or something like Mm -hmm. that. And then you can say, and these are the slights I know really well. And it narrows that down into three versions that you should be able to do given the things that you can do. Mm -hmm. You could get to people performing great magic because like, these are the things I know how to do. And then it highlights like, Hey, if you learn this one new method yeah. or this one new slight or move or whatever it is, <clears throat> that opens up these five other tricks. Mm-hmm. Like you put in your your knowledge into a into some online system. You're like, I know how to do a, a double lift. I know how to do a, a double undercut. I don't know how to do a pass, but I double undercut, a double lift. I can do a force. Uh, I can do a call and that's all I know how to do. Yeah. And it's like, these are the hundred tricks you can perform. Yeah. But if you learn this move, here's the, here's the, the 300 tricks that you can suddenly yeah. perform. Mm-hmm. If you learn this other move, there's only 200 tricks and you're like, well, I'm thinking about learning a, a bottom deal. Okay, great. If you learn the bottom deal, there's 20 tricks that you can do. Mm-hmm. But if you, yeah, to give people this like almost like this branching algorithm of of ways of exploring magic I think that this would just be incredible absolutely yeah I completely agree I think that there's enormous potential for knowledge for because uh, <clears throat> I think you know the public perception of magic is high right now it's in the zeitgeist but Like, to really improve the public perception in a way that is different. So, you know, you see a bad singer, you go, that person can't sing. Not singers are bad. Right. You see a bad magician, you go, magicians suck, I don't like magic. Right? To change that, we I think we have to start from within. And, and you know, opening up the possibilities of learning all of this different material that's tailored to you, like you were saying, I think is very powerful. It'll help people do better magic sooner. I think. I'm, uh, I'm stuck on something you said earlier Mm -hmm. in this, the beginning. You see a bad singer and you don't say all singers are bad. You see a bad magician and you say all magicians are bad. Or magic. Or, or I magic. don't like magic. I don't yeah. like magic. <clears throat> I think, and it's my projection, mm-hmm. 
I think that you see a magician that demeans you or belittles you or abuses his audience in some way, whether or not you see his method, you say, I don't like magic. Mm -hmm. I've seen a number of magicians that their methods sucked, Mm -hmm. but I really like them as a person. Yeah. And I would go back to their show. And people that I've been with that have seen their shows were like, yeah, magic wasn't great, but I really liked him. Yeah. Good person. Sure. I'd see him again. Yeah. So, in the, you know, in the time that I've been in magic, which is not as long as a lot of people, but I think that the reputation of magic really comes from the reputation of the people. Mm-hmm. Are you, again, how are you treating your audience? Are you belittling people? And how do you break down this adult, child superior inferior relationship that we talked about earlier sure Uh, but that said absolutely i think we can get to the state where people are performing only the top miracles Mm -hmm. with very little knowledge that can escalate magic as an art yeah well to, you know, the people that you go with say, I would go back and see him. I don't say I would go and see another man no. show someone I haven't seen. So it's it's not, double standards is the right phrase, but, you know. It's not, and it's not all the same. Yeah. Yeah. But I just wanted to name that, like, I think it's, when people are like, I don't like magic. Yeah. It's not that they saw bad magic. It's That's true. Seen. It could be very good magic. It could have, they could have seen someone who is very, very adept yes. at the, the mechanics of mm-hmm. the tricks. Who was just an ass. Yeah. I think more often than not, just because there are not that many magicians who are very adept at the tricks, that it's yes. it's a it's like a it's a symbiotic relationship between being a good person and being a good magician. Yeah. You know. Uh, and it's not that these people are bad people, but I was watching a video the other day, I will not name names. <clears throat> they were doing a Cards to pocket routine. Mm-hmm. And watching it was. Was it Ricky? No, I'm just kidding. It was not Ricky. <laughs> but it was just like. <clears throat> it was hard to watch. Yeah. Because it was hard for me to watch because I imagine the person on stage just felt completely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. demeaned. The audience was, I project. In this space of tension, like, do I laugh because that's sort of funny, or do I not laugh because the person on stage can't be feeling comfortable right now? Yeah. But the technique was great. Sure. So, you know. In that moment, the magician is presenting a problem to the audience that is outside of the magic, that is outside of the show. It's... The audience doesn't know what to do. I think that's a big thing magicians have to keep in mind is they are giving permission. They're they're explaining to the audience what to do by not by they're making it as easy as possible to enjoy whatever it is the magician is trying to convey. And some people yeah. don't do that because they're dicks. Yeah. Yep. 
So we need less dicks and magic. We need less dicks and magic. Now that's... <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> not a lot of female magicians. Yeah. I'm tired of not talking about it. And I, th- I think there are some. <laughs> but again, I think... you know, And I know several. And several female magicians. Um, and what they've shared is... It's hard. Because... Uh, I mean, I've watched it at conventions I've gone to. The one female magician, and everyone guy is trying to hit on her. Yep. Like, well, she, now you like inadvertently, she may or may not feel uncomfortable with that. Yep. And does that push someone away? And then there's just the natural like. I don't know why. There's a some natural reason that more men are attracted to magic at a young age than women. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a cultural norm or something, but it is there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a stereotype or not, stereotypes come from generally some factual something. Sure. So, how do we change that? And mm-hmm. I think I think that's where like the STEM programs in school: science, technology, math, blah blah blah, engineering. Um, I think they're great I think they're bringing a balance to the education of things Mm -hmm. and we need that with magic also I don't know how it happens yeah but what did I see I saw a video the other day of some female cardist she was killing it yeah and I was like this is awesome like not seeing I think that might have been the first female cardist that I had seen yeah, like this is great. There's a I she saw, had her own artistic <clears throat> element that she brought to it. Yeah, there's a a female magician in Spain. Her name is Sarah Rodriguez. Uh, she's like I saw a video of her doing something like four perfect table pharaohs effortlessly, yeah. and I was like, I've never seen anyone do that other than Dennis Bear. Yeah, I was like, that's amazing. Like, period. It doesn't matter. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I, there's still this weird, gross, archaic idea floating around in the magic community. The women are assistants, and they have tiny minds and tiny hands, and they can't do what us big men can do. Yeah, and it's we're the wizard archetype, and they're the the witch. It's false. Yeah, Yeah, it's a shame. It's absolutely false. I know. I have one good friend that. Practically out of she was at one point practically out of magic because of that attitude. Yeah, um, and it requires the male magicians to embrace these female magicians as equals and to recognize that like how do we all work together? Yeah, grow together, mm-hmm. help each other in the same way that we were helped when we first got into magic. Yeah. What a wonderful world it would be if everyone was a magician. <laughs> everyone had their own focus and specialty. So, like, anybody you met on the street could show you their amazing trick. Yeah. yeah. What's it, seven billion people or something like that on the planet now? Yeah. Like, seven billion opportunities, like, each person had that one amazing thing that they did. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. What would yours be? Uh, my, my superpower... 
I have an amazing superpower. So my superpower would be that I could take an eyeball out, <laughs> but it would you'd still be able to see with it. Uh-huh. So I could throw it, <laughs> and wherever it lands, I could see. Okay. Unless it landed face down. So I don't know that it's going to land right side up. <laughs> All right. And... But it doesn't have the power to fly or anything, so I have to then go get it wherever it is. <laughs> so it's actually maybe not a very good superpower. So, but I think about this, like, yeah. All right, tell tell me everything. Why? Why? <laughs> why? How? When did you start having this thought? Tell me everything. <laughs> what? It was. It was one of these thoughts of like, what are ridiculous superpowers? Yeah. And so this was just like, well, if I could take my eye out and, like, set it in a corner of a room, mm-hmm. and then where I could be in another room and see what was happening or something yeah. like that. Or Why is like, that a power? You could, that... like, palm out your eye and, like, load it under someone's lapel. <laughs> and then when they take a card, you could see, you could the, see the... Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. But then it was like, well, but you got to have a weakness too. And the weakness might be, well, the card, the eyeball doesn't fly back to you or anything. Uh-huh. So you have to go get it or it doesn't, like, you just you can throw it, but yeah. it's not always going to land right side up. Uh-huh. It's just, it became this, like, sort of strange joke. How did it start? What was the... I don't remember exactly. Because that's amazing. I don't know. It was just a random... That's hilarious. I was talking with Rahul about this a couple nights ago. He actually said that there should be a piece in the show that I talked to you about that has something to do with this. But my superpower is that I can stop time and move around freely. And that start it was it's a sleep ritual. Yeah, but that's already done. Look, I don't want to hear it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um but it was it started for me as a sleep ritual uh when my mind was racing and i was like i've gotta you know i've gotta do this homework or i've gotta do this thing or you know whatever um or i don't feel like i'm maximizing my potential in my life or whatever so i would think about like well if i could just stop i could read everything i ever wanted to know you know it's like a bunch of different powers basically it's a cheat code yeah, I don't know where this one came from. It just, and then I like did a search of like superheroes with the stupidest powers, <laughs> and there's some superhero that can turn himself into a door, uh huh, so that other people can go through him, but only into an adjoining room. <laughs> that's so like, his superpower that's is like the weirdest penetration I've heard about. Yeah, so the superpower is that he can become a door yeah. to allow other people to go into an adjoining room. Okay, so there's a room that doesn't have a door? So like right now there's no you'd have to go through three doors in my house to get to my garage. Uh-huh. But there's only one he wall between us. So I could become a door in this wall. So he becomes like a doorway and not like an actual physical door. Or he might that might be included, but yeah. he creates an opening. Okay. Right. Interesting. It's kind of a useless power. It's like It's a, pretty cool though. It's pretty cool, but it like only into an adjoining room, not into like some futuristic time place or yeah. into a room in another building and like that's super it's, useful. Though. It's a very present here and now thing. Yeah. And that's kind of like this eyeball thing is like Oh yeah, huh? 
I think that's better than the eyeball thing. <laughs> I, th- I will think, like... Because then you don't have an eye in your right, socket. There's that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then I was like, well... You're like Mad-Eye Moody. I could, like, place the eye yeah. on a, the bumper of a car if, like, villains are getting away. <laughs> but if they're driving away and they're on a bumpy road... The eyeball would fall it off. It might fall off. And then I don't know where they're going anymore. I think you created literally the worst superpower. <laughs> well, It's better than like the Wonder Twins where he can turn into a form of water, I guess. Right. Yeah, he can be, you know, but he could be like an ice ladder. So that's at least that's useful, useful yeah. in some weird way. That's really funny. Yeah. Do people, do you, how do you use the eyeball? For good? Do you try to save? Oh, would... you... <laughs> are you are you fighting crime with your eyeball? Probably. Well, I ask. Is this the eyeball? Yeah. I ask because it sometimes lands facing the wrong direction. Yeah, it could be completely useless. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing about this, so I've recently started wearing glasses, and I noticed when I put my glasses on in the morning. And I think it's a problem I need to talk to a doctor about, but my glasses will sometimes steam up. And I think it's because I have especially steamy eyeballs. Wow. So, with the superpower, it also creates a potential problem or a potential benefit. Like, I could potentially throw an eyeball, I could take my eyeball out, throw it onto a window ledge, steam up the window... Ooh. So that the people inside can't see out. That is good. How yeah. do you think? But you have to go and retrieve your eyeball. Right. So then... Yeah. <laughs> so, so then what? <laughs> then I have to retrieve the eyeball. <laughs> okay. You don't want to be too superpower. I do. Well. Is that interesting? I like... I That was my thing is like my sleep ritual was... There's also a connectivity issue. Like, you, oh, yeah. you can only go a certain... Maybe distance. I can... Oh, also... It only, only works, like, 15 feet away. <laughs> like, maybe it's kind of like Bluetooth. Like, after, like, 30 feet, the signal drops or something like that. I'm not sure. You go colorblind after I haven't 30 figured, feet. I haven't figured it all out exactly. That's funny. That, but that's the thing that would call me, is trying to figure out this power. It's like, if I can stop time, am I stopping the movement of the universe... Because if I did that, then I couldn't breathe. But if, or am I just moving so fast that I, you know, everything is perceived by me to have stopped. Yeah. And then if that's the case, like what happens with friction? Like if I'm reading a book, you know, technically the friction of that happening is like the book bursts into flames as I'm reading it. So I tried to, I, you know, I could never yeah, wrap see, my head around it. I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out like, it's possible not plausible but you know like, yeah you could do it like you, with technology you can do it yeah absolutely like, there's got to be a way with technology that i could have an implant and see through or you could just have a thing that you throw and you don't actually have to oh you mean you could have an implant in your head. i thought you were saying you had like you took out your own eyeball and put in an implanted camera eyeball that you would then take out and throw <laughs> well it could be that too i we don't know Something like you that. You have decided yet. Yeah, you really have to commit to do that. <laughs> but I think, I mean, this is an interesting superhero power. It's certainly interesting. 
I don't know if I'd call it a superhero power. (laughs) Well, well, the other thing that would be hard is... So, if if I took it out and held it in my hand and peeked around a corner... Uh The image that between both eyes might be very confusing. Yeah, so you have and to... And so I have to, like, like close one eye. <laughs> right. And then there's no depth perception. And then there's... Yeah, and so then, the, like, there's... These are some of these challenges with this superhero power. I've not figured it all out yet. Clearly. I love it, though. I love... <laughs> That's a game. Listeners, you should play this game. What would your superhero power be? And, like, make it something... Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be original, but, like, really think about it and think about, like, what the weaknesses are. I think that's where this came from. It was like, what's an original superhero power? Yeah. Like, you can't choose flying, you can't choose shooting spider webs out of your wrist. Yeah. What is it? What is it? How do you... And I think this is a kind of an original one. I... I've never heard anything remotely... I have not ...like this. <laughs> Um, here's another for the readers. Yeah. So I once had um, my good friends Luke Dancy and Tyler Wilson stay in my house. Mm-hmm. And I had, I wanted to create surreal experiences for them. Yeah. I need to plug my computer to that. All right. Um, I wanted to create some surreal experiences for them. And so I emailed Ricky Smith and I said, what are... Surreal, like not magic, but surreal experiences. Uh-huh. Within 12 hours, he came back with a list of almost a hundred different experiences. And that included things like when you go to bed, tell them that. You need to play this meditation tape that's like the sound of frogs and water, like a little brook or something like that. Yeah. But that's what you need to do to go to bed. Yeah. But then when you wake up in the morning, you've recreated a stream running through your living room with like frogs and plants and stuff like that. Yeah. So they go to bed and they're hearing this and when they wake up, it's actually real. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a... A beautiful exercise. Not magic. Yeah. Not magical, but just surreal. Like, these moments that you just go, wait, what just happened? Did Uh, you do any of the... I did. So one of the ones that I did is I... We were driving to this place called the Magic Garage. And I said, oh, it's... You know, we want to be there at 7.30 for your lecture. We're going to need to leave by... 6.30 6.30 to get there about 15 minutes early. It's about, you know, it'll take us about 45 minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. And we drove and drove and drove and up through the hills. And and then on the way home, it took about four minutes to get home. <laughs> so, and I didn't say anything. Yeah. It was just like, okay, this is we're driving there. Driving home. But there was this moment of like, wait, (laughs) how did we get home so fast? Yeah. Like things just sort of shift. And I like those as well. Like these moments of like, 
Butch is in the Matrix. The cat, suddenly the cat walked in front of the door, and now it walked in front of the door again. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Yeah. And I think there's opportunity there for magic. So Ricky's email is, <laughs> if you need ideas, that's awesome. I still have the list he sent me. That would be great if you could yeah. send it to me. I'd love to post them on them. Yeah, we'll see. And maybe I'll be using them, so maybe no. Maybe no. But like another one was like, he goes, some of these might take a little, like you might not be able to pull off. I feel off. like I might have seen this list. No, but he's seen this list. Okay. I've heard about this list. I definitely have heard about it. One was like, have a tree that's growing into the front of your house, but then when you come in your house, it's clearly growing, continues to grow, but from a clearly different spot in the wall. <laughs> He's like, I'm not sure you could pull all these off in, you know, the next two days by the time they get here. <laughs> but these are some of his ideas. Yeah. Yeah. But what I, I bring it up because in magic, like, wow, what, an, what a creative way of exploring things. Uh-huh. Just ex- first explore just bizarre things. What could happen? You know, I don't know. What if... Uh, you had someone stand at your house and in the morning like the doorbell rings and they open the door and there's a dog with like a little tray that's strapped to his back that has coffee. (laughs) And you'd be like, oh, you don't have dog delivery from Starbucks to your place? And you pick up the coffee and you drink it. Yeah. You wouldn't make any sense and then the dog turns around and goes to walk down the street. What would it take to do this? You need a trained dog. <laughs> you know what I think is funnier? Is, or like more, what would be more surreal than actually taking the coffee and letting the dog go? Is like opening the door and being like, oh no, you're at the wrong house. I think they ordered it. And then just like watching the dog walk to the next house. Yeah. That would really, yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh no, no I, I did Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't order any. It's the next house down. Yeah, yeah. And then the people like watch and the next house, like it walks... So here's yeah. an idea that I had, and anybody's welcome to do this. Uh, I never did the full version, but it wouldn't be hard. Elliot, we've been sitting here for a few hours now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if on my table here, this entire time, there was like an appetizer menu and a cocktail menu? Mm-hmm. That it was in its like little billfold thing. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even ever offer you. And I handed you this, would you like something to eat or something to drink? Uh And you opened it up and you're like, oh my God, potstickers and guacamole and chips would be amazing. Yeah, that is really good. And, uh, oh my God, I didn't, uh, well, the 15 year scotch sounds really good, but no, I'm going to have this cocktail. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And then a person walked out from the back of my house and set all of these things down almost immediately. Yeah. It just creates this like, is it magic? Yes. Is it magical? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it surreal? Completely. Yeah. You'd be like, how is this perfectly chilled martini and potstickers are hot and this... Fresh guacamole ready immediately. I literally just told you. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. 
the whole thing? I mean, like, from a method standpoint, there's a thousand methods, but, like, it could be this amazing, wonderful experience for someone. Mm-hmm. So funny. I'm like, I'm never around people like I have been this week that are always talking about magic and are like so quick to come up with a, a concept or a way, a presentation or a method so fast and so like it's got my own creative juices flowing so you're saying that and i'm like thinking of other things that's what the big pauses are is i'm like okay he said this how would i do it what would it look like where would i do it you know Mm -hmm. it's cool it's fun you guys have got a great thing going on up here Mm -hmm. i like it it's energizing well we've got two and a half hours well if nobody figured out something to do with that then our job failed but if one person comes away with something so I'll tell anybody that's listening to this find me on Facebook it's John Bodine my name might be in the podcast blah 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, friend me tell me something you got out of it tell me something you didn't like oh there you go Tell me what you didn't like. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you liked. Tell me if in some way, shape, or form this changed your thinking about magic or what you appreciate, how you perform. Um, That's my own selfish interest. How do we change? How do we grow? Yeah. Uh, And for anybody that gets back to me, if you also send me your address... I will send you a little gift. You are a gem of a man. Would it you... might take me a while to send gifts. I'm totally horribly lazy. <laughs> but I will send it. I will absolutely send you a gift. And it's a gift. Um, it's a collectible item. Wow. It's not a first edition of Erdnays. <laughs> Sorry, but, guys. But it's uh, nice. it's it's a a coveted item for, and I, I imagine for a lot of people on this, they would not have it. Wow. So there you go. Hope you made it to the end. <laughs> uh, we, we do one thing before we finish up, which is I ask, what was the time that you were fooled the hardest? <sighs> and that can mean whatever you want it to mean. The most beautiful piece of magic you'd ever seen that really gave you an emotional reaction, yeah. or the time that you did have this sinking gut kicked in the head by a mule feeling, whatever you want it to be. Or uh, both. Or <clears throat> so I've had a bunch of both, and it's funny because right now I am having a hard time recalling. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I tell you mine? Yeah. Um, this. I don't think this... This is not the hardest I've been fooled, but it's the most recent time that I've been fooled unbelievably hard. And that was... I was with Theron and our friend Kat and um, some other people at the Magic Castle. And 
When we got to the castle, Bill Goodwin was out in the at the main bar, and he said, Elliot, there's a kid here named Sway from China, and you've got to see him. You've got to see him. He does, you know, he does standard stuff, but he does it better than anybody in the world. And I was like, oh, wow. Bill Goodwin says this, and I'll listen. And so later on that night, we're down in the by the W.C. Fields bar, the inner circle, and... Sway is there, and he does a coins across routine, and it's three coins, and he they just I know I know and can do pretty well all of the moves that he did, but you talk about the real being completely indistinguishable from the fake. And an effortless handling. It fucked me up real bad. Yeah. I I mean I was like slapping the table and jumping up and like it was it was it was like rocking my head and my my brain in my head, fooling me so badly. All the stuff I know how to do, all the mm-hmm. stuff that I've done for people. Yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. So that's like a really so, powerful memory for me. <clears throat> Um, I would say Derek's show, mm-hmm. Derek's live show. Uh, there were several moments, and I'm not going to even name the thing that happened sure. because when people see it, like, uh, there were m- several moments that I was just like, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah. Um, magic-wise, that's the most recent. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and then Burning Man. Yeah. I mean, some of these art pieces out there, you just, you know, someone built a life-size humpback whale and her baby out of stained glass. Whoa. That's amazing. How do you even get it out into the middle so of the it, desert? So it was it was out of like massive amounts of big steel. Yeah. But then between all of the like steel, it was like I want to say it was several thousand pieces of stained glass that they had made in Oregon, and then they fixed them all once it got out there. So they assembled the whole thing. It was six big trucks to transport all the pieces. They assemble it all, and then they put in all these pieces of stained glass. And Amazing. light the whole thing from the inside. Yeah. Uh, so something like that, you just kind of come up on you're like, what the hell is happening? This is it's amazing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's surreal. Surreal. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. So it's things like that. That it's magical. Mm-hmm. Here's a life-size humpback whale, and there's audio of humpback whale sounds and amazing recordings of people talking about crazy things that are coming out of it. So. I would love to experience what we talked about the other day with the art car that plays the, the frequencies that are off of. Yeah, I need, about that? I need to dig into this a little more, but I've heard that there there are several of them out there that 
their sound, when you hear their sound, it is so perfectly crisp and clear. I mean, it's like the clearest, loud, loud sound system, but that they're playing the sound only in frequencies that are outside of the frequency of human voice. So that you can also hear this loud sound and have a conversation. So I need to, like, figure out exactly, like, if someone was telling me if they're pulling my leg with this or not. But my experience was absolutely, it's true that like you could be out there and it's like, this is crazy loud. It's perfectly clear. And why can I hear you talking? Yeah. So it's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, John. You're welcome. This is lovely. Oh yeah. It's always a pleasure. Always good to see you. Always good to see you. Always. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thanks.